We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVergilio. Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Scared money don't make money, you know. Happy New Year and welcome to the Gator Nation Football Podcast. We are presented to you by BetUS. I'm James DiVirgilio alongside Alan Williams. And amazingly, it's the year 2022. Alan, how you feeling? Feeling great. When you say 2022, it makes me think the preview of some movie in the 90s where it's set in the future of the year 2022, but here we are. It really feels crazy to me as someone who loves history to think about us being in the year 2022 feels so surreal. If you think of the 1920s, the roaring 20s being a time that felt like forever ago, we are now in our own version of the 20s and we're the second year into it and it has not been a roaring 20s start for the yeah. world. So hopefully somewhere on the horizon, things will get to a roaring 20s-like scenario. All right, as always, if you like the content on this show, follow us on social media. Sub to our YouTube channel for film reviews. Become a patron on Patreon, where you can drop us a dono. And Happy New Year to be Red and Bamachane, our ever-faithful volunteer help. Alan, we had one new patron over the Let's Christmas go. and New Year's break, and his name is Average Size Robert. Coming in with a medium dono, which for average size Robert feels about right. That's medium a dono. That very on brand. Right. Yeah, well done. Still sitting on the throne is the big homie, who hopefully is doing very well out there in big homie land. And Alan, some dono legends who have given more than $500 in total support or were legacy. Look, if you support things early, you get the benefit of not having to have such a high barrier to entry. So the earlier your name is read in this dono legend list, the less you had to contribute although most of these people have contributed so much to our show, and we are very thankful for each and every dono, email, note of support, social media post, etc. We cherish them all. Yeah, and the beginning of this list are the former kings. So they have contributed the significantly. Yes. Thank you, kings. We love you. Start with the one and only Lil Payton, Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Duden, Nathan Jeter, Stash Me, Bobby Boucher, Frank Marsalisi, Mike Wechter, Tim Kane, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Hunter, James Truitt, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, 
Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Cooper and Kylie Craig, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Rummery, and Craig Scarado. James, the Gators played a game since we last recorded. The Gasparilla Bowl against some team, the Golden Knights, the Knights, I'm not sure totally about their branding. The Gators lost that game 29-17. Did that game really even happen? I'm not totally sure. It was right before Christmas, kind of fuzzy in my mind. If you had to watch it, you know it happened because it was a train wreck of ugly football across the board. It was. But it happened, and Florida lost, and you and I both predicted Florida to lose in this game. So sadly, we were correct, and it sort of featured all of the ugly things we'd chronicled all throughout the year. And it did feature some bright spots like Tyron Hopper, who was absolutely sensational totally in this game. Just another Before getting ejected. Before getting ejected because he got spit on, and then he pushed a guy. Unusual for him to get ejected just for that. But Featured all the things that hopefully you really enjoy this podcast for, uh, as, as you know, we, we chronicled it all year long. And then, then there was Hopper, a guy that we begged for to play, who's finally getting his shine. And once Hopper went off the field, Alan, uh, I felt like Florida's defense was no longer a defense. And that's how good Hopper was at run stopping by himself. And the wheels fell off and Florida gets beat rather handily on the offensive side of things. What's to report here aside from, yeah. That's what you get with Emory Jones. And it just that's just who he is and yeah. what it's become. And there's nothing more that needs to be said on my end. And Alan, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I love that the game started with a false start. Felt right. Yeah. The clap snap is still something we can't handle. I mean, we're not going to talk about it much because there's not really anything to take away with moving forward. Um, but let me ask you this. We talked about it not really mattering to us on the front end too much. On the back end, do you feel like it matters to you? It still does not matter to me. That's how far I am out there on the bowl game results <laughs> spectrum. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It would have mattered more, obviously, if the coaches were returning. It would have mattered a lot because you yeah. still would have seen the same harebrained stuff going on. But this is no reflection on where the program is going. It does not matter. It's not something I'm going to remember. UCF can't go claim they've passed Florida. They can. Well, they did. And they will. Talk but, I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't hold any weight with me. I don't think recruits at home are thinking, oh, UCF beat Florida. Maybe they're on the way up. I think recruits are looking at Florida with Napier and deciding how high can Napier go. So that's why I just don't think that it really matters. Now, if you have family members who went to UCF or your best friend went there or whatever, then it certainly matters because you know how UCF fans are and they are going to be the most annoying person in your life probably forever. So I'm sorry if that's something that explains right. your life. But for me, I just don't really care. Yeah, it's funny because they were talking about claiming that they're the best team in the state. And I was like, oh, please. And I thought about it. I guess they are because we beat FSU Miami. Nothing to write home about. So, yeah, congrats to UCF. You climbed the shortest mountain of all time. But, yeah, they're super annoying. I mean, this was still probably a top five moment in their program's history, beating a deflated, coach-fired Florida team. So if you're UCF and you're celebrating, just know that 
the contextual nature of that is still there. That it's still a big deal to beat Florida, so that's why you know that Florida's still above you. Um, UCF, uh, you know, they're missing some guys too, but were you impressed by them at all? No, not impressed by yeah. them. But they, again, you know, bowl the Malzahn games era or... UCF team, though. I mean, they're. I think Are that Malzahn bullish on them was a forward? good hire for them. Bullish is hard because look at look at where they came from. Bullish would indicate I feel like they're going to maybe get back to that level. Well, they're headed towards the Big Twelve, and so the answer is no. I'm not. I'm not bullish. Although great for them choosing a conference that's going to be gutted that they could compete in and be at least maybe top five or six and, and pull in Florida recruits, but. I don't think so. I think things for UCF just got way harder with Napier coaching at UF, with Cristobal coaching yeah. in Miami. The recruiting scenario is already so hard in Florida. Recruits don't care about going to UCF. It will help. They're in the Big 12, but the Big 12 is a shadow of what yeah. it once was. So, no, I don't think their profile is going to be elevated. And I think if you're a UCF fan, you're hoping that he somehow gets into the Scott Frost realm. But I don't. I don't think there's anything to suggest that Gus Malzahn is that kind of guy, but I do think you'll have some magic years with Gus Malzahn there. And that's why I think it was a good hire for UCF is that's all I think you're hoping for is a couple of magical years here and there. And then a couple of years that are frustrating. Right. I do think they are going to be a little boom bust for sure. They're going to follow that Gus train or they might be capable of some fun stuff, but yeah, I don't anticipate them moving into a tier alongside Florida state or Miami or something like that. Uh, you said something in our football thread as Emory Jones was looking like Emory Jones. I don't know if this is a direct quote, but something like you tied your future to this guy talking about Dan Mullen. And really now that we've seen a full year of Emory Jones, that you were willing to stake almost everything on him. Seemingly when the everyone else knew that you should play Richardson. And that's, I mean, Again, you got fired for more reasons than that, but that's probably a big reason why you got fired. It, you know, Richardson's health hurt him in that scenario, but if he had played Richardson or committed to Richardson, I guess there's a scenario where Dan Mullen is the, still the football coach at UF. I'm happy that scenario does not exist anymore because of the tying your future to guys you should not tie your future to, you know, Grantham, et cetera. We've covered this ad nauseum. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't help but think. You know, Mullen is gone. He's somewhere else enjoying his life and doing whatever he's doing. There's been no rumors, by the way, Alan, of what Dan Mullen is going to do, which is really interesting. You got to think he's angling for an NFL job. That's the only way it would be so quiet for this long because you know other colleges have all contacted him and nothing. Well, right. The NFL season will end up, yeah, we'll see what happens. And we'll see what happens. He could also try to go the analyst route, you know, somewhere else um, for a year. Who knows? But either way, very quiet. So... All that's left is his legacy of this team that he has remaining, which would have lost to Florida State, a really bad Florida State team without Richardson playing that game, and then was a doormat against UCF. And that's the that's the product you're left with from Dan Mullen, and you're left with Emory Jones. Again, consummate nice guy, trying his hardest, terrible, terrible quarterback. And that is the guy that you hitched your wagon to in your most critical year alongside a guy in Grantham who also – no news on where he's going yet, right? I haven't heard any Grantham news of where he's being hired at. He's not theoretically in demand for his services. Then this we'll is see what's where crazy. he could go. 
But how would you hire? What would you have to say? He's unhirable if I'm an AD, but not everyone's us. But clearly, like people aren't jumping, you know, jumping and up and down to get some of these Florida coaches that are on our staff. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I can't imagine a scenario other than like kind of the old boys network where he gets hired as a coordinator. I'm sure he's capable enough to go be like a linebacker coach or something like that, you know. But yeah, he'll probably take. I, I bet he'll still get a coordinator job somewhere at a smaller. I bet he will at a smaller stop at a smaller school at a, at a mid level or lower. Someone's gonna do it because football coaches are like that. They're yeah. they're like you said. They're they're a weird breed sometimes. But but yeah, tying the future to those guys and watching that play out. And the good news was, hopefully for all of you, you felt the same medicine I did, which is like you know what, this is not the future anymore. So we now have a new future, and we will see what will happen. And that will start in earnest next year. Allen against an extremely Yeesh. good Utah team. Yeah, for sure. You can bet you can bet right now that Florida will not be favored in that game. I'm going to tell you right now they're not going to be. No. And they shouldn't be. That's no, an extremely competent football team playing very good football. So Yeah, when they booked that game, I was, you know, Utah, it's like, it's fine. Maybe it's not the most exciting news to get announced. It's not Texas or something when we went through that slate of – or that spate of games getting announced far into the future. But as it's coming up, that's a monster game against the Pac-12 champion. Yeah, and a team that looks every bit as good as anyone yeah. else could be in that second non-Bama Georgia tier. So. And if they had played their current quarterback, Cam Rising, he didn't start till the middle of the year. If he, they played him from day one, they might have been in the playoff. Yeah, very probably would have been. And, and, and a 12-team playoff would have been a team, I think, that no one would have wanted to yeah. have drawn. That's how hot they were. So great game between them and Ohio State. But either way, a lot of stuff to look forward to in 2022. I think we put UCF behind us. We put the Dan Mullen era totally behind us. Go. It's now over. We're just full. Billy Napier will report to you what happens with how it happens. Now, Alan, there were some playoff games that occurred. There you, were. You may have missed them because they were extremely boring. But if you're an, SEC, if you're an SEC fan like we are. It's it's still somewhat kind of great, even though I don't like either of these teams. Cincinnati gets just beat like a drum by Alabama with a little asterisk. They were in the red zone quite a bit. If they convert a few of those, is the game closer? Perhaps, but totally outclassed. This shouldn't be surprising, Alan. Alabama no. has 74 four-stars and five-stars, and Cincinnati had seven. The talent level is unreal. So for Cincinnati, I think you probably feel pretty good about yourself that you were competitive, you dropped, you drove the ball, you played some good defense. I mean, this is what should happen to you in this situation. But I will say this for Cincinnati, if Cincinnati plays Michigan, that's probably a game. Probably. And so this is not an indictment on them. They don't deserve it because plenty of teams have gotten annihilated every year by Alabama in the first round of the playoffs. So I thought they were fine. They just played against a Bama team who is Bama, who's uber talented, and those are the games that they just win. Uh, but... Not a lot to see there in that one. Sort of just a boa constrictor, old school, Bama style win. Yeah, and the question is, does Cincinnati belong? I think yes. Uh, they did about as well as Washington, Michigan State. I mean, all the other teams have gotten rolled over. I mean, somebody pointed this out on Twitter. If you look at the kind of flow of the game, the stats, this is basically a rerun of the Washington game a couple of years ago. They're, I think they're about on that level. They're, they're not great. I mean, I think they're one of the weaker playoff entrants, but not by any large degree different than 
those teams I just mentioned. And, you know, it was kind of fun. I'd rather have Cincinnati than there than Michigan State from a couple years ago. Right. I know what I'm going to get from them. There's at least a little bit of intrigue. How are they going to do? It doesn't mean that no group of five teams should ever be in the playoff. I think Cincinnati was as deserving as anyone this year. Not because they're like magical group of five and I love them, but who else were you going to put in? Notre Dame? They beat Notre Dame. So I don't, I don't look back and say, oh, this other team should have been in. The, mo- the other most talented team was... Ohio State, and they didn't deserve to be there. They got their doors blown off by Michigan. So, you know, it it was what we thought it was. I mean, Alabama's favored by 13 and a half, and we greedily hopped on Alabama picking that game because we knew it would not even be that close. And yeah. There were scenarios, like you said, where Cincinnati keeps it a little closer for a little longer, but they were never going to be able to put up enough points to – beat Alabama no and if you were betting on these games of course they were great lines Georgia getting an eight point line you and I both picked Georgia against Michigan which we just said watch any amount of film that was a horrible matchup for Michigan and it proved to be that I mean they just if they can't run the ball they certainly can't pass the football they're very one-dimensional and my question for Harbaugh is this if you're Luke Fickle you get in the plane and you say no surprise Right, they have you know sixty-seven players that are vastly more talented than our guys. But if you're Jim Harbaugh, you've coached in Super Bowls, you coach in Michigan, a power school in and of itself. You play power football. You just played power football against the SEC, which let's be real, all coaches not in the SEC hate the SEC because it's like I hate the fact that people like you and I are up here right now saying what I'm about to say, but they just big leagued you for sure in the worst possible way. So when you get on the plane, I would love to know what's really going through his mind. Because what do you say? Like Michigan has, you know, 50 four-star and five-star guys. Georgia has more, obviously, right? 70-something. But at the end of the day, there's more talent on Georgia's team. But they just destroyed you. They took your football soul. You got murdered. You had beaten a much more talented team in Ohio State. So you've already proven you could have done that. And then you just have the SEC chance further and further, where basically it's like, look, whatever two best teams come out of the SEC, the rest of the country has nothing to offer. How would that make you feel as a coach? I feel like there's got to be a collective, just really like demoralizing plane flight home mentality from these coaches because they're just not competitive despite having excellent seasons. Yeah, and this is just a bad draw for Michigan. This is a good Michigan team, but not a great Michigan team. And I think they would have rather played Alabama, honestly, than Georgia. Oh, I think they definitely would have, for sure. Just this is a styles make fights kind of thing, and this was never going to fly, what Michigan wanted to do offensively. You know, they have a young guy, J.J. McCarthy, a quarterback, who I think could be the kind of quarterback that they've never really had under Harbaugh. Um, You know, Michigan, there is a path forward there for them where if they have – a more offensively diverse team and they could play defense a little bit better than what they did. They could, they could hang with the Georgia and maybe steal a game, but it's hard to imagine them winning two of those type of things, you know? So, but there's nothing to say that Michigan can't recruit at the level just below Georgia or Alabama, or I guess in this case, Texas A&M as we look at the recruiting rankings, but Michigan can be a tier two recruiting team. There's nothing stopping them from doing that. If if Harbaugh wants to engage on that level, 
and they've recruited well there before. They just haven't done so in the last five years. So this is why this is a little bit of a surprise from them. Yeah, it's been weird. He came out as kind of the guy who was recruiting and then it, it fell off. But yeah, positive year for Michigan. I think it's just tough. I, I can't, we can't imagine because we're in the SEC what it would feel like to be these other schools who are, who just are constantly thought of as like a little kid on the playground mm-hmm. to the SEC teams. And look, in fairness to all other SEC teams, you know, Florida was a part of this. 10, 12, 13 years ago. We have not been at all since then. Most SEC schools are not a part of this. It's been Alabama carrying this torch. Auburn did for a second here and there. And then, of course, Georgia now in the recent memory. Much to the chagrin of many Gator fans who continually want to hate on Kirby Smart. The guy's not perfect. He makes some bad decisions. I don't know why he's still playing Stetson Bennett. It could cost him against Alabama. But he's in another national championship. And only so many coaches can say that. And he throttled another team that had a good season. And so, look, beating Alabama is hard. It's hard for anyone to do it. We'll talk about that championship game at the end of the show, Alan. Kind of get you prepped for what we think is going to happen in round two. Will there be changes? Does Georgia adjust their defense? Is Stetson Bennett, does he have what it takes to win? Because clearly Kirby has tied himself to him, mm-hmm. which is against almost all Georgia fans' desires. So much like Dan Mullen, he's against almost his entire fan base by playing Stetson Bennett. If they win the national championship, all is well. You made the right move, coach. Good job. Glad you won. But if he doesn't, that is going to be a loud, loud cry. How could you play a six foot, 190 pound walk on who played at a tiny little community college as a walk on, you know, came back, walked on again in the national title game with a four star capable quarterback behind him? That's a big question, and it will be asked. So Kirby's still Kirby, but Georgia having a lot of success. This seems like it's got to be their year. And we will talk more about that. Yeah, were you impressed by the level of Georgia dominance? The, they, you know, they bounced back a little bit from that Bama game. Was there anything they were doing out there that looked different to you, or they just kind of did what they were capable of doing? Well, Michigan definitely tried to run some of the same concepts that Alabama ran with those intermediate routes, which we talked about on the film breakdown for Georgia way back when. But Michigan doesn't have the athletes that can open up those gaps. And and Bryce Young is Bryce Young. Look, Bryce Young, you have to remember how young the guy is. He's a Heisman Trophy winner. He doesn't look as polished yet. But for what he does and how he moves around the pocket and how he makes plays in big moments, that's a special, special quality. And he made Georgia pay every time uh, on those routes. I thought that Georgia's back end was much crisper in this game. That looked better. But... Again, Michigan is not a test for them. So they didn't pass any new tests for me because this was what George did to everybody right. that wasn't able to block. Michigan did give their quarterback some time, and guys were not as open. So there is that to build upon if you're a Georgia coach, but Alabama's going to give you different stuff again. Bill O'Brien had his best game, I think, as a play caller. Um, I think he's pretty pedestrian as terms of college play cards. He's very NFL-oriented, which I think is not great in college because you don't have to rely on your matchups. You can generally scheme teams into easy looks. So that's the big question mark. Georgia on paper should be able to stop Alabama from scoring even more than 13 points with really without a problem how good their front seven is and how Alabama's offensive line has struggled against seemingly everyone except for Georgia. So... This is going to be the test for Kirby Smart's career because, again, this Georgia team is better than this Alabama team. They're just better. But does it translate into a win for a championship? We'll find out. All right, some UF staff hires. We have a new one. William Piegler. 
36-year-old, unheralded, coming from Michigan State. If you look at his background, he spent some time at Clemson, bounced around some various community colleges, bounced Random around places. high schoolers. He, you know, he's links up with Mel Tucker at Colorado as a control coordinator, gets an on-field job as a running back coach this, this past year, and now as a tight ends coach for Florida, where he started as a tight ends coach, didn't play. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this into what I think Napier's doing is he's building like a mixture of like all-star recruiting kind of football guys and then all-star nerds, like the all-nerd coaching staff. And I, I love it. Like, I love it. You read you read Piegler's breakdown. Mel Tucker says, this guy is a rising star. He's a brainiac. He's a gifted football mind. And you can see that same stuff is being said about, obviously, Patrick Tony, the defensive coordinator. So it's I like it. It's I think it's a, a direct move into a very analytical, tactical, football-oriented game plan, which I'm all for. But if you look at some of these guys, you think, oh, this is not exactly like what I would think of. I think of a tight ends coach. But I'm all for it. Uh, he's unheralded, rising star. So we'll see if he lives up to the hype or not. But I like the mix so far of brain and and kind of more traditional, you know, what you think of as a football coach staff. I like that mix. Yeah, obviously to bring someone on as a tight ends coach, like from that background, he also needs to be at least somewhat proficient as a recruiter. And it seems like Piegler has some chops there. Yes. Yeah, for um, sure. I think the same thing is maybe true for Tony, you know, although he, you're really bringing him on for his, I think, tactical acumen. So, yeah, I like taking a chance on these guys who are a little bit out of the box, but who have a huge ceiling. And then you're also bringing in some guys like Corey Raymond and Jabbar Juluke who are just kind of old school, you know, recruiting oriented football coaches, guys from like more typical kind of backgrounds and who you see on a lot, see a lot more of those type of guys on college football staff. Now, Raymond is kind of one of one in terms of his recruiting impact. You know, there's not many guys who fit his profile, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's not, you wouldn't have like, if you're sketching out who you might hire, this type of profile doesn't get hired very often. So the fact that there's already two of these type of guys on Napier staff is really interesting. Yeah, mixed in with like you mentioned, if we're if we're having a you know a competitive flag football game amongst coaches here, you got some players on this team. You got right Jaluke, you've got Kerry Colbert, you got Stapleton. If you want to have him there, be as your center in NFL guy. You got Coy Raymond who played at a high level. Then you got guys like Patrick Tony and William Piegler who didn't really play at all. But I like it. I like yeah. the mix. You know, I think that's what you want. Um, if you're thinking of 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 a wartime analogy, you need the tactical brains to operate. You know, coaches are not playing the football game. You don't need your coach to be a football player. You need him to be the tactician making good decisions, teaching the players how to do it. And so those are different skill sets. So I like the way the staff is shaping up. It does seem like at this point, given how slow we're still filling these positions, that the rumors about Billy Napier hiring some NFL guys, those seem to be true at this stage. We're pretty long in the tooth at this point. So obviously the next couple of weeks we'll begin to reveal whether or not that's true and we will keep you updated. Yeah, and so it's interesting with a guy like Piegler because he's obviously not an expert in tight ends. It's not like, oh, this is the best tight end teacher in America. Like he's barely coached tight end. He's done running backs, done other kinds of things. The kind of catch-all term of quality control, whatever that actually means inside a program. So it must be that Napier really likes this guy. 
and it said, I'm going to add you on where I think you could reasonably, you know, coach the position. And I want you for all the other stuff that you're going to do, whether it's recruiting, whether it's tactical, uh, you know, insight. So we'll see, you know, you're, you're not going to get criticized for hiring Corey Raymond or Kerry Colbert even, but if these hires bust, like the William Piegler or Patrick Tony, because they come from non-traditional backgrounds, if they don't work out, you could catch a lot of flack. And this is why coaches are sometimes conservative because they don't want to catch a lot of flack. So I like that Napier is taking these chances. doesn't mean they're necessarily going to work out, but I think it's, it's kind of fun. And these are young guys. These are up and coming guys. And we'll see, you know, they might not be with the program that long because they are up and coming guys, but Hopefully it'll pay dividends immediately for UF on the recruiting trail and on the field. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, portal news. Jack Miller, former Ohio State quarterback, was a four-star recruit, been there a few years, is now to UF. This was, this news broke around Christmas, so it's been a little bit. But, yeah, thoughts on him? I like it. I mean, I like, I like quarterback depth in the room. He's a cerebral read the field kind of quarterback um, under center and a pro style guy. And so I think you want as much competition as you can possibly have. Obviously Napier is moving to like we've talked about before, a much more pro style offense, which means you're going to run a lot more play action. You're going to have your back turned to the field. Sometimes Um, it's often much simpler than running like a full field air raid spread system. Um, But it does require good tactics and technique, good footwork, Right, good pocket presence, good understanding of where to go with the football. Um, and I think Jack Miller is a guy that Napier thinks can come in and compete with Richardson right away. And I think it's very clear to me a guy like Richardson needs competition on the field to drive him to be his best. When you are a mercurial athlete, if no one is near you, 
sometimes you can't get all that you want out of that player because they don't even know what their ceiling is, right? And it's sort of like, hey, I'm already dominating. So I think if you can get guys that can make him compete and push and work harder, you'll get more out of him. So I think that's what you want. You want to take all the best quarterbacks you can and let the competition decide who wins. Clearly, if you're Jack Miller, and let's let's be clear here, Alan, Jack Miller does not come to Florida thinking I'm going to ride the bench. That's not why he's coming to Florida. So keep that in mind. I love Richardson, but you got to know this guy's a young guy. He's not coming here to hold the clipboard. He's coming to compete for the job, and he thinks he can win it. And that's exactly the kind of mindset you need in that quarterback room. And I think with a fresh coaching change, it's great to have a blank slate, a bunch of guys in the field battling for it. And hey, look, like we say on this podcast, whoever puts the best stuff on film week in and week out is going to be my quarterback. You want to win the job? Put the best stuff out there. Bingo, right? Let it happen. So I think it's a great start to the quarterback room at Florida. I like the transfer. Yeah, it's interesting because I think my immediate reaction is, what does this say about how Napier feels about his quarterback room? Is it purely a numbers play? Is he worried about Richardson's health? Is he not really high on the two freshmen that he took? Because there's three guys is enough, I would say. Now they're all really young. Um, but you wouldn't you wouldn't be panicking at three guys. Four is a little is better, of course. Um, and so it's makes sense to take a guy who's a little older, right? You don't want to take another guy who's a freshman last year and have three guys in the same year. That doesn't do you any good. Yeah. If I'm Napier, I guess this fits the profile of what I'm looking for. I don't want to necessarily over recruit Richardson. I would, I would want to see what I have with him, but, the amount of times he's been injured, you're you probably need someone with a little more experience if you're hoping to come out of the gate and be competitive year one. If you weren't really worried about that, you're like, I'll play one of the freshmen if I like them. But yeah, since they didn't take a quarterback from high school, which I think is gonna be more and more common ultimately, makes sense to grab somebody out of the portal. So we'll see. He may never see the field for UF, but I think a guy of his profile and stature fits the bill for what that staff was probably looking for. Uh, News just from today, this afternoon, Cameron Waits, offensive tackle from Louisiana, gets brought over to Florida. So he played in three games. He's a massive guy. He's like 6'8". Almost no recruiting profile. I don't know if he got scholarship offered anywhere but Louisiana, but they like him enough from last year to bring him to UF. Um, obviously, UF needs some depth along the offensive line. This feels like still a developmental type guy that they're bringing in. Um, you were thinking if UF was going to take a transfer, it'd be a guy who's a senior or you know maybe grad-level guy to come in and fill some of the holes. I don't think they're most likely expecting this guy to come in and start immediately. He wasn't starting really for Louisiana last year. Um, but did see the field as a freshman, which isn't bad. Um, I guess this is, you know, they have room on the roster. Like this guy, they're going to take a chance on him. And I think it serves two, you know, two purposes. One, he can compete for a job. But two, at this stage, you're trying to get guys into your, into your offensive room that understand your system. And he played 
under Louisiana's blocking system last year. And we've talked about it. It's a zone blocking system, much like what Dan Mullen run, but it's much more it's much more demanding with how they run the football. Running wide zone, inside zone, they run power. So if you get a guy who understands how Louisiana wants to run stuff, and now he comes to Florida, he understands what Napier wants to do, that's very helpful to your other players. Even if he never plays a single down, it's helpful for him to say, hey, look, here's how we do it. Here's why we do it. It gives you another guy in the field who's been in the system, knows the knows the verbiage, knows the vernacular. Knows the movements, knows the techniques. Correct. So I think if we're like in year two or three of Napier's rebuild, and you're taking guys like this, you start to scratch your head. That's very curious. But at this stage, take a guy who's got the size, obviously, to play in the SEC. Uh, and Louisiana has put guys in the league as O-linemen, and it makes sense for developmental purposes uh, for, the, for the team as a whole. You say, okay, I can understand why you might be more likely to do that, uh, especially at this stage. I can create narratives that make sense rather than, oh, my gosh, why are we taking another guy who plays in the Sun Belt to come to the SEC? So I, I think it does bode well for him and for the staff if they liked they got to see this guy for a whole year. They did not have to take him. Obviously, they're not bound to him by any means. So the fact that they wanted him to move on over, I think, was you know at least shows that he has some potential. He may never reach it, but like I said, I I you, know, you have to be kind of in on whatever they're doing right now until proven otherwise, and. We'll see. Maybe just news that we talk about this guy this time and we never speak of him again. That's probably the most likely outcome. But maybe two years from now, we're talking about how well he's protecting whoever's blindside as the right guard. Who knows? Other portal news. Some guys who had entered the portal, I guess, stepping back out of the portal. Lloyd Summerall and Dante Zanders, guys who don't really play a lot. Um, I guess... Either were convinced to come back out of the portal or didn't like what they saw in the portal. Uh, I think you're going to, like, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, you're probably going to see this more and more with coaching changes. Guys, enter the portal, check it out, and maybe stay. Now, if you're a lower tier guy, maybe the the coaching staff says, yeah, once you're in there, you're not coming back out. But if you're a great player, you could probably come back out. Um, but I guess the staff let these guys remain on the team even after entering the portal uh it doesn't really move the needle too much other than does provide a a little bit of depth issues for uf so i yeah again not great news but certainly i think better news in terms of depth along defensive line and i think you're gonna see this these guys maybe they got in there and like no one contacted me I guess I'm staying at UF question mark. That's at least a possibility of outcomes there. Thoughts there? Yeah, I think you want them to stay. I think in general, right? If you're a new staff, I'm a new coach. I want as many bodies as I can get to stay. Uh, after your first year, when you have transfers, you're going to be okay with those because oftentimes you know that guy does not fit my culture anymore. I'm not sure where he's at right now. But if I'm sitting down with with Summerall or even Sanders, I'm saying, hey, look, I've seen what you got on film. I'm not telling you you can be a starter. I don't know. But you're going to get a fresh look. So if you're working on your game and you believe in yourself, this is the time to stay. Because if you go somewhere else, you're also going to get a fresh look, but it's new to you. New everything. New school, new city, new environment, no friends, new trainers. I mean, it's all new. Here, all that's new is the staff. 
right? So I think that you want to keep these guys and you want to get to evaluate them at this level. And if they never play fine, let them transfer next year, so to speak. But um, I think it's good for Florida to get more bodies at this stage staying. And I think it does bode well for the coaching staff when guys are entering the portal and then coming back out. Because I think it says a lot about the fact that like, hey, these players are frustrated. They did not like what was going on with the previous coaching staff. We know that Napier is a no-nonsense guy. He's not going to be blowing sunshine up these guys. And they're staying, which means at some level, they're probably buying in to the message of competition. And that's a good thing, too. And Xanders is a guy who has played. Summerall has basically not played at all. But if he's had a decent amount of steps as an SEC defensive lineman. So physically, he can hold up. I mean, those guys don't grow on trees. So even though he's not like a prolific guy or, or a guy that you would bank on as being one of your more productive players, he's at least a guy who can eat up some snaps. And there, there's definitely value to that. So I think that's some good news for the UF team. All right, Emory Jones still, I don't think is officially in the portal, potentially, question mark. Um, but um, I guess leaving... We've talked about Mincy. Bogle ends up at Michigan State. Jacob Copeland ends up at Maryland. Diabate, I don't think, has landed anywhere yet. That's probably the rest of the portal news. What do you think about Copeland at Maryland? Yeah, we. I think we talked about this. I think this just happened last time. But, uh, you know, obviously, go Terps. Hopefully he winds up being a good receiver there. I think he will be. Maryland's a top 20 passing offense. They throw the ball all the time. They They run wide open. It's a guy, Loxley's a guy who's pretty loose. He's a player's coach kind of guy. I think Copeland can get away with what he wants to get away with there. And I think it'll fit. I think he's going to be very productive there. He's a productive receiver here at Florida, despite the fact that he had a train wreck of a quarterback situation. He's not perfect, but he's fast. He'll get open. And I think for Maryland, they're pretty excited about this haul. And I think they should be. I think for Florida, we talked about it when he left. He was a productive receiver. You don't want to lose productive receivers, especially guys who I think in Napier's offense would have been really, really good, given they run a lot more of those longer developing routes where fast guys matter. But Copeland was disenfranchised, and he won it out. So good for him. Hopefully it'll wind up working out better. Typically, though, with those guys, and you just saw this to a far, far greater extent over the weekend with one Antonio Brown, if you start becoming a player that's obsessed only with yourself, you're not a good teammate. And Copeland is absolutely trending as that kind of guy. Not to level again of AB, but he's trending as that kind of guy. So I hope for his own personal sake that he hops more on the team bandwagon and becomes a better teammate rather than just a, I'm changing every time I don't like something. So we'll see. All right, Draft News mentioned that previously Britton Cox is staying. Ventron Miller also staying. Now, we've not been maybe his biggest proponents how big a benefit is that for UF? That's a benefit because, again, new system, new coaching staff. I have far greater confidence. Like Miller, this is this is a great thing to say just right now. It was it's it's really frustrating to do this podcast and film reviews and have to like critique a player, and you personally are afraid they're going to play because they're hurting the team because it's not about them. Like we should never have to fear if Ventro Miller is not good enough, that he plays in spite of himself not being good enough, it shouldn't matter. Right. So for Ventro Miller, he's a good run stopper. We've talked about it. He has value. And if the coaching staff uses him correctly, he can provide value to the Florida football team. And if Hopper, which Hopper is, in my opinion, a much more versatile and better true middle linebacker, Hopper should be playing over Miller. 
period. Can they both play together? They certainly can. There's packages you can use them together in. And Miller is a guy who can who can provide something to your football team as a physical run stopper. And a good coach will utilize him without having to make him an every single down linebacker against all types of formations, teams, and et cetera. So therefore, I think that's good news for Florida because we know that Florida has been woefully inadequate at linebacker. And this is an SEC-sized guy who can be useful against certain teams, certain situations. And let's give him a shot to see what he can do with the coaching staff, who I think is going to be way more tactical on defense, putting guys in positions to succeed tactically and not just, here's my strategy. I never change it. I'm going to fit square pegs into round holes. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. I think that's an important statement. Under the previous staff, you know, when DeLance announces that he's coming back, you're like, oh, no, they're probably going to play him again. And they did. Rather than moving on and trying something different. I think with Miller too, certainly he's capable of playing. So even if he's not the best guy, you would still like him on your roster because he's probably better than, you know, the third string guy. So that if you're starting, let's say Hopper has to miss a game, you don't feel like you're falling off a cliff, right? He's still capable of playing at an acceptable level, certainly within the confines of certain systems and certain uh, assignments. Now, again, I don't know what to project him towards or what he might do in this new system because we don't really know what it's going to look like or what they're going to aim to do. Again, we're going to hire another co-defensive coordinator here in a little bit. Um, so it's hard to project him exactly where they might play or how they might use him. But I think it's good for him. He, you know, I think some of that, like, oh, he's going to be a first round NFL draft pick or how people were grading him or projecting him. Again, I never saw that, but I think he can be a productive player. And, you know, if it works out well for him and he plays really well for him for the Gators this year, that's fantastic. If he doesn't see the field that much, that means the guys above him were playing at a pretty decent clip, I think, because it's a pretty good measuring stick. If you're going to beat him out for a job, that means you're probably playing pretty well. Like he's, if you're talking about value above replacement player, you know, the old baseball stat or new baseball stat, Vork or whatever. I think that's a pretty good measuring stick. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's a good way to look at it. Look at it for depth. Look at it for if guy goes down, can he play? What level is he at? Does he help the team? Is he a good team guy? There's a lot of things that can be contributed that go beyond just how many snaps right. do you play. Per and game. especially with COVID where you're not worried so much about roster restrictions where a guy stays means another guy cannot come in. Right now, I don't even know how they're accounting for things necessarily with everyone having basically a free year of eligibility. So somebody staying doesn't necessarily hurt you, even if you would rather them go ahead and graduate and free up a scholarship. So that from that perspective, it's only really a plus. Um, Zach Carter using up his eligibility, even though I guess he could do everyone theoretically could come back. Um, and then Kyrie Elam, who is not, I don't said officially whether he's coming or going. There's some rumors, I guess, along the message board lines that he's considering staying, which for, I think a long time, the narrative or the assumption has been that he would leave. If you were advising Kyrie, what would you say to him? He should leave. He should leave. He's a top 15 pick right now in the NFL draft. I think you have to leave. Um, the risk is too great to stay. I'm a romantic at heart, so I feel like staying and honoring your football team and your college and your alma mater, all things that matter. Kyer Elam is that kind of guy. That's why I think he hasn't even declared right away. I think those things matter to him as well. But I think it's disingenuous 
to say that if you're playing college football nowadays, that you are not leveling up through the minor leagues, trying to get to the big leagues. And college has a lot of joy and satisfaction and and great things about it. But if you're a top 15 pick in the NFL draft, you've worked your whole life to get to this point, and you could have an injury that makes you no longer a top 15 pick. And life's not about money. It's not. But I think it's really hard to not go. And even one Nick Saban pretty much says to all of his players, right? If you're at that level, you should always go. So what if he's more in the back half of the first round through the middle of the second round? Range? Yeah, I think if he's a second rounder, then you stay. I think it's that simple. I think if the, if it's a 50-60% chance you're a second round pick, I think you stay one more year because he is he, he is a top 10 in my opinion NFL draft pick who has not received good coaching despite the fact that if you look at his advanced stats, they're fantastic. They're amongst the best in the country, but he hasn't gotten the shine he should have gotten because he was on a horrifically bad defense where things were terribly managed. But the guy's tall, he's long, he's quick. He's got everything NFL corners want. He's got size, he's strong. He's going to be a top player uh, for an NFL football team. So I'd love for him to stay. That'd be great. But I think if I'm coaching him, I say, look, it's always your choice. And again, college has wonderful merit. There's great reasons to put on this side of the ledger for staying. But know as your football coach, if you go, that's like the normal and correct and fine decision. And if you stay, I'll welcome you back. And I won't say it's a bad one. But, you know, I support you with that because not very many people on planet Earth are ever going to be a top 15 NFL draft pick. But what you said holds true. There's a big difference between the second round and the first round in the NFL. And obviously, if you could come back and give yourself first round draft pick status, top 15 draft pick status, then, you know, I think you do it. Right. I think if you're going to be a top 20 pick and you're pretty much guaranteed to go somewhere between 10 and 20, I think you definitely leave. Now, once you get into the back part of the first round, you know, it's kind of like a little bit of a crapshoot whether you go there or you end up in the top half of the second round. It's still a very good spot. You're still very much valued by the team that's drafting you. But the money's a little different. So if you aspire to to start at that level and be a top 15, 20 pick, top 10 pick potentially, I could see coming back. Um, just depends on what kind of feedback he's getting from NFL teams and agents and kind of what the the tea leaves are. Again, there's no guarantees, right? But, you know, if you're somebody like Aiden Hutchinson, you're not going out of the top five, even if you don't go number one. Elam, I think there's a lot bigger range on him right now. Maybe that solidifies in the post-draft process, but or the postseason process, pre-draft process. So I don't know. It's a little on the fence for me for him. I it depends on what NFL teams are telling him, what kind of feedback he's getting. Uh, but even if he was going to be a late first, early second round pick, and he wanted to go, I would not hesitate to encourage him to go. Yeah, that's high enough to go. So we'll see what happens uh, in that scenario. And, you know, these are all nuanced and tricky. And and I don't, I'll say as an overriding caveat, I think that you can not be a me first guy in life and not be a me first player and not be a me first whatever. And also like go to the NFL draft early. And the flip side is also true. Sure. You can be a total me first guy and those guys never reach full success in life. Like you just don't, right? You don't reach the same heights, satisfaction, et cetera, if you're a me first kind of guy. So unfortunately, I think a lot of things get lumped into like this one huge bucket now where if XYZ athlete left early, they're a me first guy. 
That may not be true. Sometimes it just makes sense, right? You've earned it. You're the best. You should go. You're ready. And staying in college football means you do get to stay with your your brothers. You stay with your team. You stay with the guys you committed to. Uh, but at some point in time, sometimes that decision is just, it's just the right one to make. And you can do that without, again, being so me focused that it's like me versus the world. And I'm taking whatever I can. I'm getting all the value from my skills. And I'm just going to live by that creed. I think that's foolish. So I just want to say that, that, you know, I think you can find that balance with these decisions. And I think Elam is a guy who will do that either way. I have no doubt he will. All right. The Cade Museum. Last Cade read as we enter the new year here. If you find yourself in Gainesville in the next month here in January, stop by the Cade Museum, which I've mentioned is one of my favorite places to go in Gainesville. You can use our promo code GATORNATION either online at www.cademuseum.org or at the desk when you walk in, just say, hey, I've got a code. It's the Gator Nation. And they will give you buy one, get one free. Bogo. Bogo. All right, Alan, one coaching corner, perhaps one of the best coaching corners of the season thus far in the NFL. The Chiefs and the Bengals played a doozy of a football game. I was able to watch all of it. I loved it. And the last three and a half minutes were zany. The Bengals had the ball the entire time, but everything hung on a fourth down and goal from the one-yard line call where there were 41 or so seconds left. The Chiefs had no timeouts. So Cincinnati had basically whittled all this time away. Do you kick the field goal on fourth and goal from the one to go up three points, 34-31, giving the ball back to Mahomes with probably 37 seconds left? Or... Do you go for it on fourth down? Since he went for it, did not get it, had a penalty, which allowed them to then take a knee, kick the field goal. McPherson, right, Florida Gator, hits another field goal, and they win. But what would you have done here, Alan? So I guess you're weighing the option here of what do you think Pat Mahomes is going to do with the ball? Is he going to be able to tie it? I think I kicked the field goal there, even with the expectation that he's probably going to tie it. Um, I don't know the tying. I mean, it's hard not to take the points there because the it's not like a touchdown absolutely seals it or something like that. If that would put you up two scores or something like that, I think maybe you're more likely to do it and you really just ice the game. I think I would, again, I'm the king of go for it on fourth and one, but um, I think I would have kicked the field goal there. Yeah, in this scenario, and this is very nuanced, I'd kick the field goal, and here's my rationale. No timeouts left for Kansas City. I kick the field goal. I put game pressure on them. If they drive down, the odds of them scoring a touchdown with no timeouts in 37 seconds are tiny. Right. So worst case scenario, I'm resetting. I'm going to overtime, right? As you mentioned, if I score a touchdown, which I do with 41 seconds left, the game is still not over. It's a lot less likely they score a touchdown to answer but it's not over yet. And if I don't score the touchdown, now I am also going to overtime, but I gave myself essentially, you know, 50% is the number, right? This is what, here's how the math is going to work. Fourth and one from the goal line is like 46% in the NFL, something like that. So more than half the time, I'm going to overtime guaranteed. Perhaps some small percentage of the time, Kansas City gets a field goal from there, but it's pretty unlikely. Typically, I'm going to overtime. If I kick a field goal, it's 99.9% that my kicker makes the kick from the one-yard line. 
So that means that whatever percentage Kansas City gets for a field goal, whatever that number is, I'm winning outright more often by kicking a field goal. I just am. You can easily deduct that right. math, assign, assign whatever you want to it for Kansas City's chance, 50%, 40%, whatever. I'm outright winning more often in that case with just taking an absolute no-risk position. And my loss rate is so infinitesimally small because Kansas City is almost never scoring a touchdown. So I think that's a winning proposition for me. Um, of course, what happened for Cincinnati was absolutely best. Take all the time off, kick a field goal, right? Uh, but I think that was an excessive risk to take in that situation where a field goal probably wins you the game. And if it doesn't, you're in overtime anyway. But I don't hate the mentality that gives your team. They're like, we are playing to win the football game. And I think this should be said. Cincinnati was going for it on fourth down frequently during that football game at times when teams would not have been doing it. And I applaud them for that. And I think if your team has that kind of mentality, which we've covered before in coaching corners, it's helpful to your football team because they're playing to win it. But this is not a situation where I think you go for it. Now, I do want to set this for you, Alan. If you change the score here, I could make this scenario worth going for it. So if you think you just cannot stop Pat Mahomes and he's on fire against you, which Cincinnati was stopping him towards the end of that game, you couldn't stop him, and a field goal puts you up two, and it's fourth down and goal from the one, I might seriously think about going for a touchdown. For sure. But that's not what the scenario was here. And I think that's the big difference for me is I could find lots of ways that going for it there makes sense. But tied up with that much time and no timeouts for Kansas City, that's tough for me to justify yeah. saying that's the right I move. think I would have gone for the touchdown if the field goal would only put me up one or two because then I'm almost giving him the ball with the expectation. It feels like maybe not the actual math, but the Pat Mahomes math would be I'm going to lose the game. Yeah, I think it's pretty close to that. It, it, that seems too much to bear. If if you're one yard away and you can say it's within my control, I will win this game nine times out of ten if I get this one yard. I think that's a good risk reward for your for your team. Coin flip to win. Whereas if you don't, then you you know you're man, I'm, I'm in trouble. You know, for sure. Because yeah, this is the whole Tom Brady. It's like if you go up, and but then you give Tom Brady the ball last, you're most likely going to lose. Whatever the scenario is, and. That's not a good feeling, <laughs> right? So that you could have done something differently knowing that you're giving Tom Brady the ball back, or in this case, Pat Mahomes the ball back. Yeah, I would have liked to have gone for it. Even if that means if you don't get it, you are down rather than in this case, if you don't get it, you would have been tied. So, but I, yeah, I do think I'm with you. The kick in the field goal was the right move. Yeah, zany game though. Crazy stuff going down in the NFL on Sunday as always. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, it is time now for the Slate, Allen, brought to you by BetUS. Sports betting season, of course, has been in full swing, and you can use BetUS using our promo code GNation125 or GNation200. That's GNation125 or GNation200, and get more than a 100% match on the money you deposit. 
So essentially, if you use one of those codes, you wind up supporting the show as we get a hundo bomb for each one of you that signs up. And so far, quite a few of you have signed up this season. So thank you from Alan and I for supporting BetUS, our title sponsor, and the show as well. So visit BetUS.com and sign up today. Obviously, Alan, do not bet your you know kids' future college savings on this. Please or do not. your wife's anniversary gift or whatever else. Especially on ball games. Yes. Do it for fun. Enjoy it. Make it entertainment. Don't get caught up in it, which I know none of you are getting to the degenerate level. Just enjoy it. Have fun. All right. Alan, start us off with the bowl game starting on December 20th. You and I entered in four and five. We were each four and five through the first nine games. And uh, let's see how we did. You want to just... Yeah, let's see how we did. Okay. Let's see how we did. All right. The Myrtle Beach Bowl presented by Tax Act. Okay, we don't have to say the sponsors. We're not getting paid to, but it's too fun. It's too much fun. Yeah, yeah. You have to know. (laughs) Old Dominion goes down. They're too old. Not enough Dominion. They lose to Tulsa, seventeen to thirty-one. All right, that was a win for me. So good job, by Tulsa. You. Let's go. The famous Iowa Potato Bowl, Kent State. They don't get it done either. Wyoming wins fifty-two to thirty-eight. We were both on that. Yeah, I mean, you have to pick the Brown team. I said that whenever a team is Brown <laughs> in college, which Wyoming's one of the very few, you take them, you ride them. Again, we were both wrong on Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl, UTSA. Doesn't get it done. They get beat pretty handily by San Diego State, 38-24. Yeah, San Diego State, I think, was the more talented team on paper, but they limped into the finish line, and UTSA kind of also did, losing two of their last three. All right, and what was a really fun game, the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. Missouri goes down to Army, 24-22. Good win for Army. Yeah, you and I were both wrong on this one. Good game, though. Army was a good football team. And the SEC, of course, struggled in bowl games at the lower and mid-tier level, which they tend to do a lot, which people like to write articles about. Then you watch the playoffs and say, oh, okay, nothing to see here. Move along. The Frisco Football Classic, North Texas, Miami, Ohio. Miami, Ohio wins 27-14. to 14. We both picked North Texas. I don't know why. We just the did. main green. They just weren't mean enough they on were this not. occasion. Uh, we already talked about the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl, so we'll move along there. We both got that one right. COVID takes away the Hawaii Bowl, so no Memphis, Hawaii. The Tax Act Camellia Bowl, Georgia State waxes Ball State 51-20. Yeah, nice pick by you. Uh, wrong, wrong pick by me there. I just knew Georgia State. I was so confident. Just kidding. Uh, Quick Lane Bowl, Western Michigan wins. Against Nevada, 52-24. Yeah, you and I both on Western Michigan there. Yeah, I think we I want we should go back and look at this. We I think I went against the coaching change a lot that worked in that scenario. And that's smart. It worked actually in most scenarios for you. Uh, Boston College, East Carolina does not happen. I know everyone was sad about that. <laughs> uh, who knows what would have happened. The Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl, Houston beats Auburn. 17-13. Yeah, nice pick by you here again. Auburn, Harson, the regime off to a questionable start. Highs, lows all over the place. It seems like from our Auburn insider, one Chris Musgrove, that there's a lot of frustrated Auburn fans already. Perhaps that fit is not perfect. Yeah, it's funny. We we talk about bowl games not bat- mattering, but Auburn took a little bit of a PR hit losing this game. Yeah, they did. And again, it, it shouldn't for me per se. But if a bowl game does matter, it probably matters the most in your first year when you had a 
brutal, mm-hmm. gut-wrenching loss to Alabama that would have sent your fans to the happy land, and you didn't. Then on top of that, you lose to Houston. And so it's like a tough two losses yeah, in a row. Yeah, you could have knocked Alabama out of the playoff. Knocked out of the, them out. Potentially all of win this. a national championship. Yes, you had it. And that that is gonna that's going to stick in the crawl of Auburn fans forever. Forever. If Bama wins this title... This is going to be right up there with one of the all-time most painful losses they've had to Alabama. And a funny little note on this game. Um, Holgerson is outside the press conference, <laughs> the post-game press conference that Harson's giving, basically yelling for him to hurry up because he <laughs> was taking too long. I don't know if you saw that. I did not see that. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl Air Force takes care of business against Louisville, 31-28. So yeah. the service academies did really well. Yes, they did. Good year for them. Go USA. AutoZone Liberty Bowl. Mississippi State gets demolished by Texas Tech 34-7. We both were on the Mississippi State revenge bandwagon. They just not show up in this game. They did not, but Mike Leach was kind of talking some trash, kind of talking about how frustrated he was. They got fired from Texas Tech and then just got hammered. Good finish to the year by Texas Tech. Which is weird because they fired their coach. Yes, they did, but they got better seemingly as time went on. So here's the the Mike Leach experience, I guess, that you're has some games where they look unbelievable, they win, and then they just no show games too. They do. That's one of the problems with being an all air raid offense. I've talked about it a lot. It's my favorite passing style, but it should not be every single play you run. It just it it can have outings like that one. All right. UCLA NC State does not happen. The holiday bowl gets canceled. No holidays for them. No. Nope. Mm, tough. On the other hand, the guaranteed rate bowl did happen. Guaranteed. West Virginia can hold up against Minnesota. Minnesota closed the year very nicely. They went 18 to 6. Not a lot of points in this game. No, no, not a lot. Good win for Minnesota. And a good win for me. Thank you. That's true. Yes. Well done. All right. The Wasabi Fenway Bowl SMU versus Virginia got COVIDed out. I kind of wanted to see what that would look That's like. That's a bummer. I, this was the one I was really sad about. I would have, I love seeing anything like that occurring in stadiums, whether it's the big hockey games or other stuff, Fenway, you know, f- football games at Fenway and whatnot. That was, that was a letdown not to have that one visually. Yeah, bummer. All right, why don't you take over from here? All right, December 29th, the New Era Pinstripe Bowl. The Maryland Terrapins that you picked and I didn't, shame on me, beat Virginia Tech 54-10, to hammered them. Good For decision sure. going against the coaching change there. Well done. The December 29th, Cheez-It Bowl, Clemson versus Iowa State, 20-13. to Clemson hangs on. Yeah, this is a good clones. game. This was a very good game. Very I mean, competitive and spirited game. This felt like a like a game that mattered to both teams. For sure. And Iowa State, I felt super bad for Brock Purdy. Clemson had one pick six where he's basically batting the ball down. It somehow ends up in a Clemson defender's hands. And the last real play of the game, he's scrambling for a first down, gets it, gets the ball knocked loose. He recovers it, but it's behind the line on fourth down. And the game is over. Brutal. That was Man. brutal. One trend I like a lot, though, is I like how these bulls now are dumping their product on people. Yes. So the fact that they like gave Dabo Sweeney a Cheez-It bath, it's amazing. And you saw, uh, I'll get to it later. We're going to get to that. Don't spoil it Okay. Yet. But I, I love it, though. That's really good marketing. It's really a lot of fun. Uh, Clemson, one important thing to note here if you watch the game, Clemson had zero opt-outs for the bowl game. So Dabo Sweeney, who's widely known as a master of culture building, truly is a master of culture building in this kind of era. Now, Clemson had a lot to play for. 
they have a, an 11 game or 11 season rather win streak of winning 10 games in a row or more. So Florida State had 14, Bama currently active with 14, and now you have Clemson with 11. So it's a pretty pretty big milestone he was shooting for there that he got at the end. December 29th, Valero, Alamo Bowl, Oregon taking on Oklahoma, coached by Bob Stoops. Oklahoma wins 47-32, but this game was not nearly that yeah, close. Yeah, Oklahoma just crushed them. I mean, what, I forget the score earlier on, but it was like 30-3 to or something like that. It was a demolition. Yeah, Bob Stoops looks so happy on the sideline. I think it was like, this is the glory gig. No recruiting, show up, get three weeks, coach a team, demolish the your opponent. I mean, I think he was having a good time over there. Really cool he did that. I think that's a lot of fun and very, very wise by Oklahoma. Uh, the Dukes Mayo Bowl, North Carolina, favored by seven against South Carolina. And South Carolina wins 38-21, capping off a remarkable season for sure of big hunting by Shane Beamer in South Carolina. They got some big skins on the wall from this year. I mean, one of the reasons I picked against South Carolina is that the quarterback, and I'm forgetting his name, Jason Brown, I believe, who played against UF, had already transferred out. So who are they? They're back to playing their grad assistant plus another guy that they had moved to receiver. Didn't seem to matter. And then, as you said, the winning coach got a mayo bath. But it was funny. I feel like they almost knocked him out dumping that cooler mayo on him. Yeah, they're shaking. If you haven't seen it yet, pull it up on YouTube or Twitter, but they're shaking the cooler of mayo and they said they added some water to it so it wouldn't be so thick, but they couldn't get it out of the cooler. And so they just drilled him in the head and then the mayo came out all over him and that's a pretty gross, it's <laughs> a pretty gross bath. Well, let me take a moment here to bring up this topic because it started a conversation. Uh, one sports writer, oh man, maybe Dennis Dodd or Dan Wolkin, I can't remember. Basically, it was like, this is how you know that these games are meaningless or it's dumb or motivation is like pouring mayo over a coach. And Beamer responded directly to him saying something along the lines of, why are you so crabby about the sport you cover? Find some joy. And went after him. People like love that. And there's this argument every year about there's too many bowl games and they're, they're, you know, they're meaningless. I know you're not the biggest bowl person in terms of results, but would you, would you agree too many bowls? Fine. You like it? Yeah. There's, there's too many meaningless games, but at the same point in time though, I understand what Beamer is saying is like, if you're writing an article to support your position that bowls are meaningless, which coaches would agree with you, by the way. Sure. You don't need to do it by citing out a sponsorship fun moment of a Mayo. That's fun. It's funny. It's a postseason exhibition game. That's the kind of stuff you would expect. And I, I get what the writer is saying, but I like Beamer's response here, saying basically like you're covering football. Like have a little bit of, have a little bit of fun here. Have a little bit of a soul. Uh, but yeah, you know, look, it's not a secret. Bowl games, Allen, haven't mattered for a long time. You know, it, it wasn't relevant to me until one of my good buddies we've had on this show. David Boss, who played for Michigan, went to my high school. I was friends with him in high school. He goes to Michigan. He goes to the NFL. And while at Michigan, Michigan lost a gut-wrenching game that prevented them from going to the Rose Bowl to play for at that point in time, which would have been a top slot. And he was at home during break, and he uh, you know, was going back to practice. And he basically said, nobody on the team wants to go to this bowl game we're going to. Nobody wants to play in the Rose Bowl. Nobody wants to play there because we wanted to be playing for a title. 
And, you know, that that began a lot of conversations throughout my life with guys who had played at that level and had those experiences. And they all said the same thing. It's like, we don't want to play in these bowl games. They never wanted to play in the bowl games. They just did it because there really wasn't a path to not do it. And I don't think that makes them bad players. If you yourself play in tournaments, you know what you don't want to do? You don't want to lose in the middle of tournament and then play a 10th place game. You're going home. You don't care. You lost. You're unhappy. So I don't really understand why people try to blame the players. I saw that Desmond Howard did it, and I saw that Kurt Herbstreit did it, and they said it acted like their generation was better than this generation, and everyone's me first. There's a lot of truth in the me first movement, but I'm sorry. You cannot expect guys to play a sport that's full contact, Alan, that takes a lot out of you emotionally for no real reason. It's not even on the scoreboard. If you're a competitor, it doesn't even really matter. It's a footnote. So I do think if it's going to be this way, let the players who want to play opt in, let them have fun, let them take a trip. And that's to your point. If you want to have 50 bowl games where people go and play each other in exhibition games for fun, I don't care. I'm not going to crusade against it. I'm going to tell you that makes sense as like a money-making spectacle because people aren't interested, but I'm not going to like say, well, I can't believe you would have some college guys get to go take a trip to a new city and, and play a game against some other team they don't typically play and get a mayo bath and I'm a curmudgeon. Right. If the players don't want to play, that's one thing, which I think a large of them, amount of them do. I like to compete. I don't, no one's watching me on TV. We compete against stuff all the time and I want to win. Right. So that's fun. Um, there's a reason there's 40 bowl games. And the reason is this, uh, the bowl game you've never heard of or care about, not like the Rose bowl, but like the lending tree bowl or, the New Mexico bowl, or I may pick one even just slightly more, you know, the, the Birmingham bowl, those games get a better rating than like an NBA game on TNT. More people watch the random bowl game than like a primetime NBA game. And ESPN is paying way more to broadcast that NBA game. Than they are paying for that bowl game that they invented so there's going to always be this many because people watch them. Now, whether the players care about playing them, again, it doesn't mean that they're meaningful, that you should take a lot from them, but they're going to be there because they're really popular. Even though we like to make fun of them because they're fun to make fun of, they are really popular. And so, you know what? It's more football. I don't care. If I don't want to watch it, I won't watch it. But I don't want to complain about it either, right? There's this many bowl games. It is what it is. The playoff, I don't think, will fix that. It's not going to make suddenly make the Frisco Classic more meaningful, but I don't think it will make it any less meaningful either. So the games are there. They're fun. If you like football, watch them. If you don't care about them, don't watch them. But the whole discussion I'm kind of tired of. Yeah, me too. All right. Trans Perfect Music City Bowl, Tennessee taking on Purdue. This was one of the better bowl yeah, games of the bowl season. You and I both had Tennessee, but they fall in overtime to Purdue on a very questionable, and I mean a very questionable, Goal line stand by Purdue that by all accounts looks like Tennessee got in the end zone. Did not get that call held up on review. They wind up losing. Purdue wins 48-40. Yeah, what were they actually reviewing? I did not watch into this live, but I mean, he He's does clearly put the ball in the end in. zone. Yeah, they, they tried to claim that perhaps the play was stopped due to forward progress. But how can which you claim that on you, review? You can't and you shouldn't. And I think the answer is they just messed up. And again, if it wasn't a bowl game, if you haven't heard about it, it's it's proof that bowl games don't matter that much because you would have heard all about it if it was a real game in the regular season because it would have mattered. But that was really a fun game between two teams. I think Tennessee fans have got to be pretty thrilled 
with how their offense looks in the direction of the program right now. Now we'll see, of course, if they. Or if you're recruit. Purdue, you beat a pretty good Tennessee. Yeah, team. you beat a good. That's one of the teams that wanted to win their bowl game too. That's a good win for you. Good season for Purdue. You're right. All right, Chick Fil A Peach Bowl, Michigan State taking on Pittsburgh. Michigan State wins 31-21, capping off a great season for the Fighting Chester Kimbers. Yeah, no Pickett, no Kenneth Walker, but still a really fun game. Yeah, and you mentioned that your pick would have swung to Michigan State. So we should give you a win here because Pickett didn't play in reality. Because you did say that. So we I could did. we could do uh, that. You know, whatever. Yeah, but you said that, just for the record. All right. SRS distribution, Las Vegas Bowl, Wisconsin favored by seven over Arizona State. And they do win by exactly seven, getting a push 20 to 13. Uh, again, this game was really close. Arizona State had a chance late. Wisconsin does what it does. You know? That's what they do. Tax Slayer Gator Bowl, Wake Forest was going to take on AM. AM dropped out. Instead, in comes Rutgers. And Wake Forest wins 38-10. Yeah. <laughs> Good job by Rutgers filling in. And then this is a funny scenario where Wake Forest is going to beat up the person coming in. You'd think it would be the other way around, that Wake Forest is the late team in and they're coming in to just get knocked out, but they crush Rutgers. Yeah, they did. And bummer for Wake Forest, who I think really wanted to have that that chance yeah. to put a, a serious feather in their cap with AM, play the SEC school. Uh, but either way, great, memorable season for them. Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, Washington State taking on Miami, except Miami dropped out, which paved the way for Central Michigan. And then Central Michigan, the late entrant, wins 24-21. And our very own Jim McElwain gets a um, frosted flake bath. Yeah. How about that? The fighting Jim McElwain's taking down a powerful opponent. Late entrant. Yeah, because the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl, where they were supposed to take on Boise State, did not happen due to COVID. So they got a pay upgrade there. Yes, they did. All right. The semifinals, which we already covered, of both the Cotton Bowl and the Orange Bowl. We move then to January 1st to the Outback Bowl, where Penn State took on Arkansas and Sam Pittman's squad won 24-10. Arkansas looked good in this game. They looked like they have all year, really competent, really tough, just like they have been. And Penn State, you know, you know, have fun with this type of James Franklin result for the next 10 years? Yeah, question mark? this is the 10-year extension you wanted to give this guy? I'd be raising a lot of questions if I was on the board there. Uh, Iowa versus Kentucky. Kentucky wins 2017, getting a push. Yeah, this guy... <laughs> This game was hilarious. Iowa did the most Iowa thing possible and punted with like almost no time on the clock, losing the game. That's I feel like their philosophy is like punt to win. Yeah. They had fourth and like literally one inch with, you know, three minutes or so, two forty five left in the game. Plenty of time left. But had they gotten it, Kentucky was out of timeouts. And they could have drained almost all the clock off. And they didn't go for it. And afterwards, classic Kurt Ferentz was like, Oh no, I'd do it again. Like hindsight's twenty twenty, but I felt good about our defense stopping them, and they had to drive the whole field. And the reporter then says, "Yeah, but you were running the ball really well. Like they were having a very hard time stopping you." He's like, "Yeah, that's true. We felt good about our run game, but we just felt like we wanted our defense to we like our punning. We like our punning more. We love it's our just punning. Inexplicable, inexplicable stuff. Again, all these coaches need to have mathematical analysts in their headsets giving them better advice than that. So Kentucky and Mark Stoops cap off a nice year." The PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, always a very popular bowl game for players because they used to, and I think they still do, Alan, get PlayStations uh, in their gift baskets. That's what's one you want to go to. Notre Dame took on Oklahoma State. The Marcus Freeman era got off to a great start. They were pounding Oklahoma State, and as Oklahoma State does, 
They make a big comeback. This was the biggest comeback in their program history. Yeah. Versus another power five opponent. And they wind up winning a thriller 37-35. I kept checking in on this. And they kept getting closer and yes. closer and really I mean, pulled it out. It was a really fun finish. Yeah, to which Mike Gundy said is the biggest win in Oklahoma State's history. That's wild. Yeah. And I think that's largely because of the season they capped off on top of it, um, beating a historic program like Notre Dame. So there's a bull game that matters for you. The Rose Bowl, presented by Capital One Venture X credit card, Ohio State taking on Utah, and that was, again, what a game. This game, for a while, looked like neither team cared about playing defense, and it got really it's a tight. wild second quarter. Crazy stuff going on. Ohio State drives all the way down the field and also does something really weird. They choose to kick a field goal with 12 seconds left rather than just kicking it with three seconds left. It was first <laughs> yeah. down. That's a foolish move, whatever. Uh, but Utah falls 48-45. Yeah, really fun game. Ohio State, obviously, the more talented team. You even had two of their high-profile receivers opt out. But if you look at the stat line, I think it's Jackson Nigba Smith. Yeah, Nigba Smith. Mm-hmm. Unreal. I mean, he had, he had, look up his stat line. It's nuts. I mean, Unreal. He went bonkers yeah. in this game. 340-something yards, three They could not cover him. I mean, 16 catches. It was unreal watching this guy run, just ramp shot through all, rip shot through all of their defense. It was spectacular. And then Utah had their kick returner running all over them. Yeah, I mean, it was nuts. Cover, yeah. It was nuts. And the All-State Sugar Bowl, a, a highly anticipated matchup between yeah, Lane Kiffin versus the, the brains of Dave Aranda and Baylor. And unfortunately, Matt Corral gets hurt in the second quarter. And that's going to significantly change how Old Miss runs offense. But up until that point in time, Baylor had done very well against Matt Corral. And this is why I think Dave Aranda was on our wild card list for coaches. He is absolutely, without a doubt, a top one or two defensive mind in all of college football. And Baylor caps off a phenomenal, phenomenal season with a 21-7 win over Old Miss. Yeah, other people have pointed this out, but Baylor wins the national championship in men's basketball, wins the Sugar Bowl in football in a year where they're – this was a really big achievement for them. So, man, if you're a Baylor fan, you're you're feeling it right oh, now. Oh, yeah, you're riding a high. The still yet to be played Tax Act Texas Bowl on January 4th. So that's Tuesday if you're listening to this in the morning or Monday night. Otherwise, it's already happened. Riveting matchup for you of LSU versus Kansas State where both Alan and I have picked Kansas State. Yeah, and LSU, I was going to give you a chance to change your pick. I don't think either. Well, LSU basically has no quarterbacks on their roster right now. Yeah, no, I'm not changing. I'm not. <laughs> I am not. I can't even believe they're playing this game, but they're doing it. So good for them. Then on January 10th, the national championship game next Monday, where we have Georgia versus Alabama. Georgia favored by three. Allen. This is surprising to me that they're and still favored. Who are you taking and why? Well, let's talk about the game first before we do our picks. Okay. Well, I was gonna. I figured you were gonna. Yeah. Well, go, go you know. That's it. Set the stage. I mean, so obviously Bama puts it on them in the SEC title game. I guess, you know, recency bias here, Georgia looks a lot better. I feel like Georgia is going to do some things differently and the game will be closer, but I don't know. I It still feels like Bama has their number that Nick Saban is tactically better than Kirby Smart, even if his talent level... Well, maybe the maturity of his talent level isn't as high as George's is currently. Yeah, I think this game is going to be somewhat similar to the last one. I, I I think they're going to be able to throw on George's defense. I think I don't didn't see anything from Georgia that really changed my opinion of that. 
Okay, so it sounds like you're going to stick with Bama. I, yeah, I'm going to go Bama here, especially okay. getting points, certainly. Okay. I like it. Yeah, this is this is tough. So I, I obviously feel like Georgia and Bama. Bama was my, my preseason pick. Then I was like, you know what, Georgia's going to win it. Um, before the season actually started, started. I've been obviously all over the place with these two teams. <laughs> but to me, here's the problem. If this game is close and Vegas thinks it's going to be close, you would you would much rather have Bryce Young trying to win a football game than you would Stetson Bennett. Yes. Period. And that's what this game could come down to. And so for me, I think if Georgia wins, they have to win by two scores. They have to be in some position where Stetson Bennett is not winning them the football game because he cannot do it and he will not do it. And this is the age-old question, is will the hubris of one Kirby Smart, who is just stuck with Stetson Bennett, inexplicably in my opinion to this point, does it get him again here? Does it get him again? What does he expect is going to be different this time? I do think Georgia's defense is not going to allow Alabama to beat them like they did last time. No. That's just not going to happen. Kirby Smart's too good of a defense. And they're missing mind. John Mechie. It junk is not happening, Allen. So you are going to get a close game. You are getting a low-scoring game in all likelihood, something in the 20s that favors Georgia in this situation. I hate the Stetson-Bennett matchup. Uh, but to me, I just think this Georgia football team – is going to win this year. This Bama team, if they win, it's going to be such a Houdini pull for Nick Saban, if you think about it. And he does that. And that's what's, that's what's remarkable. I'm going to stick with, I'm going to stick with Georgia. But again, I think if it's close, if it's close in the fourth quarter towards the end of the game and I could make a live bet, I'd immediately flip it to Bama because Stetson Bennett does not have it in them. So I think he didn't do this against Michigan. He didn't throw an interception. Although one time he rolled out and just threw a duck into the middle of the field. Yeah. Horrible. I think he's more likely to give up an interception or two than he is not. Yeah, he is, or he will. I think it's it's exactly what happened last time. If there's any game pressure on Stetson Bennett at all, he's he's gonna he's gonna wilt. He doesn't have it. He can't make those throws. Georgia asks him to make the simplest throws. It's the most basic stuff. And Bama, because Nick Saban is who Nick Saban is, is not going to give you that kind of stuff. And if the game is tight and he feels the pressure. I don't think it's going to work out well for him. So, I mean, I, I don't do, – let me ask you this. Do you want Bama to win this game because you'd like to keep Georgia from winning a yes. national title? Yes. I do too. So the funny thing is I'm picking Georgia, but I, I if Bama wins their 25th championship, who cares? But for Georgia to have not won since 1980, that still matters to me. I still like that. So I'm rooting against Georgia. I'm rooting for Bama. And, and part of me would love the narrative of Kirby Smart being too smart, quote-unquote, for his own good where he just rides he rides Stetson Bennett right into a double loss season against Bama, where I think if you would have asked anyone, Alan, here's the game for you, switch the rosters with the coaches, and who wins? So put Nick Saban in charge of Georgia. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's like a layup, right? It's like almost like, almost like a layup that like Nick Saban is going gonna, is gonna to beat a, um, a Kirby Smart-coached Alabama team. Well, th- this is Georgia's year, right? This is their year. the beginning of the year, Bama is... <laughs> as down as Bama ever gets. Now they're, I just picked them to win the national championship. (laughs) Right. But they don't have it like they did last year. No. No. Right. Um, Georgia has the right balance of talent at every position, except for wide receiver where they're basically non-existent. All right. They have the quarterback finally, who could probably do it for them. And JT Daniels, if they're not playing him, 
And I want Kirby Smart to wear it. I want him to have to eat the fact that he made a mistake. I think this is going to negatively affect Georgia in the long term. I think this is good for Florida for Georgia to lose this game, not just because it keeps them at 1980, but that they have to look at this season where everything was in front of them. And you know, and they're gonna if they lose it. Now the narrative was like, if not now, win. Now I don't think that's true if you keep recruiting at their level, but that starts to eat at you mentally, right? You start to accumulate some baggage. He doesn't have any real baggage. He will have baggage after this year. That's well and, said. It's max pain for them for sure to lose in this manner again, where the fan base is just almost diametrically opposed to him when it comes to playing Stetson Bennett. He's putting everything out there. His well, this quotes is the, in the Dan media, Mullen thing. It's like, it's you, this is the guy you're tying yourself to. It's true, and his quotes in the media are never inspiring. He's never giving you something great. He's just giving you some answer that makes you want to punch your fist through a wall in frustration. So you're right. It's a Max Payne situation. I know some of you are listening thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if he has a Nick Saban-like moment where he goes into like uber offensive mode and he switches his mindset with the offense? That would have already happened, and it didn't. He already took a huge L to Alabama and he right. didn't make any changes. So yeah, sure. Could this happen and, and awake a, a, a sleeping giant in Georgia where he changes his philosophy? Maybe, maybe that's a risk, but I like what you're saying, Alan. I think the fan base there and everything that goes down with it, there could be max pain. They're going to lose their mind. If they lose, they game. will lose their mind, uh, especially if Stetson Bennett is the reason they lose. They will lose their mind. If he throws two, three picks and they lose unreal, the fervor will be unreal. You're right. I like it. All right. So upcoming on the podcast, still awaiting a breakdown on Tony's defense, which means we are still awaiting the co-defensive coordinator. When that happens, I will release it to you. The offensive breakdown for Billy Napier can still be caught on YouTube where we're approaching 20,000 views on that bad boy. One of those is mine. I watched it last week. You did a great job. There we go. Let's go. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate that. Other items. Bama plays Florida in basketball on Wednesday. So if you fancy yourself a little basketball matchup, check in for that one. And Alan, we will be back at least in February for National Signing Day. If any news before then breaks that merits a podcast and our commentary, we will hop back on the airwaves. But for now, you'll expect to see us at least for National Signing Day in February, perhaps sooner. Any other items from you, Alan? No, and again, the National Signing Day is not what it once was, but I think there'll be enough movement by then. We'll have accumulated enough things to talk about. There'll be you know, time for us to hop back on. And for us, for Florida, it will be quite significant perhaps as far as signing players goes we'll be signing a decent amount of guys and or pulling in a bunch of transfer maybe maybe it should be big news there all right well happy new year to all of you from alan and i thanks again for listening thanks for starting the new year off with us we hope that you and your families and everyone in your lives are doing super well it's a joy for us to bring you this podcast and we'll be back at some point in time in the future maybe soon maybe february stay tuned at any rate see all of you Thank you.